Hello and welcome to the Demographicast, a podcast where we discuss politics and social issues with a variety of different guests. Uh, this week, I'm joined by Jack Nichols from Yet Again, uh, hello. which is a <laughs> hello, which is a uh, youth-led initiative which is raising awareness and increasing knowledge of modern atrocities. Um, I took that from their Instagram, just so you know. Well, well uh, done, yeah. Thanks, uh, Jack. You're the you're the podcast manager, right? For Yet Again. Um, so can you explain to me a bit more about what Yet Again is about, uh, what what you mean to achieve? Okay, uh, well, Yet Again started late July, early August with Joe, Jaya and Kersey. They are the co-founders. Joe uh, Collins and Jaya Pathak are the editors as well. And Jaya, who we had on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah she was on recently, yeah. And Kirsty, who is the outreach manager. Basically, Joe uh, thought about... During his dissertation for his uh, undergraduate degree, he thought about the fact that although there have the after the Holocaust, there are numerous claims saying this must not happen again. It must there must be no other instance like this again, never again. Basically, there had been many examples of genocides and mass atrocity crimes taking place in the years since 1945. So he thought, since the Holocaust has not been the final genocide in human history, the words never again have come to symbolize a global commitment to prevent atrocity which is not really working and so he thought that young people needed a platform through which to share their passion about this cause and it's allowed people from GCSE and sixth form age all the way up to university and slightly older to write about modern atrocity and encourage readers of a variety of age groups to engage critically with the source material and the information provided. And it's not just in the form of blogs that yet again has started to share information about genocides and mass atrocity crimes. There are infographics on social media, which Kirsty Robson, our outreach manager provides. So if you look on Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, we also use LinkedIn. We share information about genocides, mass atrocity crimes, and things that happened on this day. So we're trying to spread information across a variety of platforms. Yeah, I've, I've seen those. They are very, uh, very well done. And it's very informative as well. Um, but why exactly do you think... So you said that Joe uh, got the idea from... What did he do his dissertation on? The Holocaust? His, his dissertation was essentially on the Genocide Convention. And right, okay. his degree is in law. His master's, which he will be studying very soon, is also in a very similar area. And so he's right, interested okay. in, in that from a legal perspective. And he okay. thought that there was a, a lack of a voice, really, for young people to write more about genocide and... The events that have right. taken place since 1945. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because one of my questions was going to be why exactly is it uh, why is it youth led? Why do you why did you guys feel the need to create a platform for for younger people to do so? But I'm guessing you just you just answered that by saying that it came from Joe's idea of, of uh, feeling like he wanted to express his views and and give it give the option to to other people basically yes and he talked with Jaya and Kirsty as they were developing the idea the concept of yet again and they right. they agreed and they they all they all saw the fact that there was a whole a platform to be filled for young people to raise awareness about genocide in a wider sense and with yet again I think they filled that so now yeah. it looks really interesting yeah definitely definitely um why uh, how did you get involved exactly so when yet again began I joined as soon as I could as a writer researcher. I know Joe, Jaya and Kirsty already from other volunteering commitments. 
and I initially joined in order to write one or two pieces. I asked if I could write about the Yazidis and ISIS in Sinjar, August 2014. So I did. The first article on the Ethican blog is actually written by me, which I'm mm. really proud of. And since, <laughs> and I was also a researcher, so I provided infographic material for a piece that came up a few weeks later. And then I kept mentioning, basically, I think it was my repeating the idea of a podcast that convinced them to bring me along because I've always been interested in podcasts and I feel like, especially now with the pandemic and everyone's stuck at home, yeah, there's a greater scope for developing something which people can just listen to even at home. So For sure. I think everybody's doing podcasts at yeah. the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a great idea, and I, see, I can understand why it's the most popular and widespread uh, and fairly new media platform being used by loads of people today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just modern radio, isn't it, basically? Basically, yeah. And especially especially video platforms as well, because, mm-hmm. you, of course, you get loads of audio podcasts, but there are quite a few popular ones which employ video and audio. They often yeah. do. So, like this one, yeah, it's a... A very good combination of especially useful for people right now because, of course, everybody is at home. For sure, yeah. yeah. Have you have you done any podcasts before? I was planning to do one in the latter stages of my undergraduate degree, but I didn't really have enough time and I had other right. projects to do. It's It's been in the back of my mind for a couple of years to either make one or just be on one. I was interviewed yeah. by my local university radio station a couple of years ago when I was organizing something for Holocaust Memorial Day. And oh, right. I saw the setup they had and they clearly had a budget because it's uh, they have a proper degree system there. So they have a, a right. buildings with special radio booths and so on. And I thought, I like this setup. I really like this, mm-hmm. this stuff they're doing. Ideally, I could do this one day. Yeah. So it was in the back of my mind, but I had other things to do. And so yeah. I've always kind of similar to it. Kind of similar to me. I yeah. I did radio at the at our uni in uh, in my second year, and was <laughs> I mean it wasn't really anything political. I just did a uh, like a, a one hour rock show every every week. But that's nice. But uh, yeah, but having the the own studio and and being able to it's quite therapeutic. I think. Oh, definitely. And the fact that you can talk about whatever you want. Yeah. There's no limit yeah. really. Uh huh. Although I was really annoyed because I never managed to. They wouldn't allow us to swear even after <laughs> nine o'clock, which meant my show was. My show was after nine o'clock in the evening. Oh, well, to be fair, at university, most people wake up at nine o'clock. So, yeah, true. You've actually got a large audience. Well, you say that. <laughs> our uh, our radio wasn't particularly well uh, advertised, let's say. Um. So, I was going to ask about uh, like yet again's what yet again's. Uh, or how exactly it plans to, to to raise awareness. So I know you guys have got people writing articles, especially well, you included about the various about various atrocities that you think need to be people uh, need to sorry people need to be more aware of. Um, so is the podcast also a part of trying to 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 do that? Basically, yes. The focus of yet again is on the blog materials and the infographics. But the podcast is a new setup, which is essentially designed to help raise awareness and spread information. So the main focus is essentially three pro- three pronged, sorry, uh, blogs, infographics, podcast. And so, yeah, it's, it's basically trying to help yet again spread awareness, but in a different platform on a different sure. media. So mm-hmm. 
It's basically what, doing the same thing, but in a different way. Sure. Have you got an idea for like a, a format of how you're going to present it? What I, I think I remember you saying that you're not going to be, you're more of a producer. You're not actually going to be hosting it. Yeah, I have the face for radio. So right. <laughs> I will be managing. So I we have a team. We've set up a team. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there will be hosts, writers, editors, and so on. So our format is essentially similar to the Law and Action podcast, which is used by the BBC, whereby a couple of people talk about an issue for about half an hour and it's spliced in with interviews. We may go over half an hour, okay. depending yeah. on the level of interest and the depth of the, the discussion in the topic. But that's our baseline, as it were. And so we'll mm -hmm. have a couple of hosts talking about an issue and then we'll mix it in with an interview. For example, one of our first episodes, we're looking at doing it on Rwanda. And since okay. there's so much to talk about the Rwandan genocide, it may just be an overview at first. So we'll sure. have one or two hosts talking about the genocide and we'll include a survivor interview, maybe one with an activist, perhaps with an educator or an expert mm -hmm. and we'll go from there. But one of the first episodes we also want to do is an introduction, basically similar to what we're talking about now. We mm -hmm. want to sit down, sit the, the founders, Joe, Jaya and Kirsty down and just chat with them about why they came up with yet again and so on. Because I think, it's better to hear it from their words directly, if possible. And it allows us to set sure. something up and produce something before we go straight into the other, the main format episodes. Yeah. I mean, the topics you're suggesting, like Rwanda and that, are yeah. super interesting topics. I feel like you could talk about them for, for hours. Oh, definitely. That's the thing. We're sticking with, we're starting with 30 minutes, but we will almost certainly go over that from day one. It's sure. just a benchmark. So as long as yeah, we have half course. an hour, then that's uh -huh. good. But if, there's useful content, interesting content that we're cutting out, then we'll keep that in and yeah. go over. It's a I mean, learning yeah, exactly. process, really. For sure. And you can always cut it down, like you say, if, if yeah. it is too long or or, or whatnot. Um, yeah. Do you ever see yourself... I, I was just... Because as you were saying that, I was sort of picturing like like documentaries as like a, could be a, always good ways of, of raising awareness about these kind of things. Have you thought about like long-term, big... Yes. Bigger goals, like like producing documentaries or... Also, have you thought about com campaigning at all? Well, campaigning, uh, oddly enough, one of my friends uh, who is who, whom I met whilst volunteering with the Holocaust Educational Trust, he is talking to a Uyghur, con a Uyghur activist group in London. He lives in Cardiff, and they're suggesting he organise a protest of some sort. That's in its early, very right. early stages. So sure. that's all I know so far. As for yeah. documentaries... Um, yes, we've talked at length about this. We we really want to make documentaries eventually, but professionally, we don't want to. Of course, yeah. Just pick up a camera and see what happens. No. I, which touches on a, a main interest of mine actually, because since 2016, when I went to Israel, I've been doing um, a project of my own, making a documentary about the Jewish community in the Dutch coastal town of Harlem. It's about 12 miles oh, from Amsterdam. Right. My, I've actually been there. Yeah, it, you've been to Harlem. I have. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? It's it is very beautiful. nice. Yeah, I first went in October last right. year for filming yeah. and research purposes because my maternal grandfather francis Kuhn, i think i've butchered the surname but i tried <laughs> it's a dutch word for green basically they pronounce right. their g's in a very guttural way basically yeah. Yeah. he and his family were jewish and they fled on the last boat to england in may 1940 so right. wow. the vast majority of the family got out they all went they landed in england then they spread out so some are in america some are in New Zealand, maybe some in Australia. Right, okay. And us in England. So I've, since 
when I was in Israel, I, my friends and I started researching because, because my mum sent me a list of Jewish names. I wasn't mm. sure. She said there might be some family members in this. So we just started searching names on the Yad Vashem Hall of Names to find if they had any right. pages of testimony. Yeah. And there, were, there was a lot of names because it, it was essentially wow. just a list of Jewish people from Amsterdam and Harlem. And so from there, I've been doing research about the Jewish community, what happened before, during and after the Holocaust. And so, right. yes, in October, I went to Harlem for the first time. I, loved, mm -hmm. I found my grandfather's old house, the house they had to fled from in May 1940. I've found, I talked to a, a survivor from Harlem. Mm -hmm. uh, she lives in Manchester right now. All right. And so I talked to her in Manchester two weeks before I went and I found her house and I found wow. a few things that related to her story in Amsterdam. She has yeah. a fascinating story. For example, when she was in Amsterdam, she was only a baby. She was born in uh, early 1943. Uh -huh. So she was a hidden baby, basically. And she was hidden in an attic in a square in Amsterdam. And she told me how the Germans would execute people by hanging on the lamppost in that square. And she remembers seeing them and how the Germans found where they were living in the house. And she was taken in by a Franciscan monk next door right. and baptized yeah. to save her. And so when I went to that uh, square a few weeks later in Amsterdam, mm. I saw the lampposts, which apparently are just as they were during the war. The square, again, just as it was, the house is the same. And she also told me that the building across the tram line, mm -hmm. as you, so you're facing the square, if you turn 180 degrees, there is, <clears throat> sorry, there's this two-story mansion-like house, which was Gestapo headquarters. So it was- Is this in the center of Amsterdam? Essentially, yes. The Jewish, the old Jewish uh, cultural quarter, almost in the center of Amsterdam. Right. And so I spent a few days in Amsterdam and Harlem visiting loads of sites. So I met up with a local historian in Harlem to right. learn a bit more. So yes, wow. that's a bit of a uh, tangent. But yes, documentaries are something I'm passionate about and the other three are definitely passionate about. So hopefully one sure. day when we have experts, people who can help us make them, then we'd love to. It would be yeah. a great way to spread awareness and definitely yeah and, uh, those topics are yeah so interesting i mean yeah I, I was just i was fascinated by what you were just saying because i've been to both amsterdam and harlem um mm. i went to the Anne frank house as well in, yeah, when i was in good. amsterdam um and i remember being struck at the time by sort of what looking at these pictures of of that were taken in the streets that i was walking in yeah um during that time and it's very uh it's it definitely brings it down to earth quite a bit um, oh, definitely it's something i've learned through educational trips, Holocaust educational trips over the last yeah. few years to Israel, Budapest, some to Poland and elsewhere, and my own trips. Whenever I've gone on holiday, friends or family, or whatever, I've sought out Holocaust museums and sites and so on. I have a fascination with landscapes and memory, and right. documentaries are excellent in bridging the gap many people seem to be mm -hmm. on the wrong end of yeah. when it comes to local or national history, because it allows you yeah. to just illustrate what, in a different way what you're talking about. So visiting sure. sites, it's a, it's an interest I developed from visiting battlefields because for me, they're not just fields there. It's yeah. Yeah. It's a web of history you can uncover. Well. It's really interesting. Yeah. It so is. I wrote my third year dissertation on uh, battlefield travel to the old Western front in the twenties and thirties with a oh, focus right. on how returning British veterans returned to the battlefields and how their memories of the war intersected with what they were seeing because the battlefields, after the war were quickly repaired, restored, returned mm -hmm. to farming if when possible. Yeah. And so for example, there were 
Hellfire Corner in the Ypres salient. There are loads of accounts of veterans returning there and it just looked like normal countryside. But yeah. they remember vividly having to run, duck, dive at certain areas because it was just too dangerous to walk. Yeah. And so the gap between their very vivid wartime memories and the new landscape they were inhabiting or visiting was yeah. fascinating to me. So yes, documentaries are, is a great, are a great way of sharing information in a very vivid manner. And For visiting, sure, yeah. yeah, visiting places is the best way, personally. Best yeah, way I learn. mean, if you ever did a documentary like that, I'd definitely be watching. Oh, <laughs> thank you. As long as it's I, professional, uh, yeah. Because I've, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've spent years researching and doing some videos for this, but I'd rather it be done prof really well. Because I did bring some cameras with me, with me to Harlem and Amsterdam yeah. back in October, and it was mm -hmm. such a lovely, crisp autumn day when right. I first went to Harlem. It was gorgeous. Yeah. And I found the, the town hall in the center. There's a staircase, and that's where my... I can't remember if it's great or great-great-grandparents got married, but there's a photo mm. in the house downstairs right. of them on that staircase in 1920. Wow. And so I'm back there <laughs> on the same place, on the same staircase in 2019. That's crazy. Yeah, it's quite quite bizarre. The only then, reason I went to Harlem was because I we were in Amsterdam for about a week, and I didn't want to... Uh, whenever I go places, I don't want to stay in the, the most hmm. touristy places for yeah. the whole trip. I'd like to go that. and see a bit more of the actual local... Uh, life or you know yeah. somewhere there isn't as touristy and, and so Harlem seemed like the best place to to, to get to quite easily mm. um, and no, um, a lovely place. fun fact Oceans I think it's Oceans 11 uses the right. train station the Wait, Harlem train station. yeah oh right I believe it's Oceans yeah. 11 I can't remember I've seen all three but I've they've just blurred film. into one right how do I think I've seen them you should see them they're quite good yeah. well maybe I will I'll add it to my list if we learn anything from today <laughs> is to watch Ocean 11 yeah <laughs> so so these topics are very very personal to you then like, yes definitely too. especially about the whole when it comes to the holocaust because of my personal connection and i don't know it's each to their own really we all develop interests in different ways i watched a lawrence reese bbc documentary about Auschwitz when i was nine i think right. very young mm -hmm. eight or nine and i just found it fascinating I, maybe i didn't understand the genuine dark nature of that topic but i just found it uh -huh. very interesting and since then i've been really interested so yeah, I remember. It's... Yeah, I remember the first time I was taught about it. I think it was in school, and they should sort of put on a documentary then for about an hour. Mm. And I ended up going home and and researching it for like mm. three hours because of how, yeah, uh, baffled I was that it even happened. Yeah. Um, I yeah I oddly enough when it comes we got pertaining to education for a moment, again mm. sorry a bit of a tangent but no uh, go for it. I when I. Would, I, I think it's four years ago now, I attended a House of Commons select committee in Portcullis House regarding uh, new proposals to develop Holocaust education on the national school curriculum. So right. I've still got somewhere the official green House of Commons committee file. So I was there with um, fellow volunteers with the Holocaust Educational Trust because I'd just become a regional ambassador. I was with survivors, MPs, members of the trust and other uh, institutions, a few educators and so on. But yes, it's um, Holocaust education in schools has been neglected to an extent. It varies. Some schools have a very good system. Others yeah. need to improve what they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was about to ask if, if you thought that, uh, that the reason um, you guys thought of, of one, or at least one of the main reasons you guys thought of creating it again was because you think that 
atrocities like the Holocaust, but even modern day ones aren't just aren't spoken about enough and aren't educated. Uh, essentially, um, it's, it's essentially, yeah, it touches upon what the guys wanted to develop. Yeah, the fact that there are many instances of genocides and mass atrocity crimes since 1945, and sure. we're fairly aware of them. Yeah, but it's the fact that the words "never again" have clearly not been listened to that needs to be focused upon. Really, there sure. are crimes being perpetrated even now, and nothing's really happening. It's a difficult, dangerous world right now, especially with the climate crisis and all the wildfires, melting ice caps and so on. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Extinction Rebellion protests. So, of course, we can't prioritise issues, but there are many difficult, one, difficult ones out there. And I think yet again helps to allow young people who traditionally don't appear to be interested in this kind of issue which, when they really are, but it's more of a stereotype, really. It allows them to voice their concern and they are the future. So yeah, helpful. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've already kind of touched on it when you were talking about the Holocaust and that, but uh, you mentioned earlier the, the topic you, the, that you wrote about in your first uh, piece for yeah. Yet Again. Did you want to give a bit more of, uh, or give a, a bit more of an example of modern, more modern day um, atrocities that you guys are trying to, 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 to raise sure. awareness about? So we are in talks with Rahima, who is a Uyghur Muslim. As you may know, China has detained about 2 million Uyghur Muslims. Estimates vary. It can, it's up to 2 million. That's one estimate. Uh, Uyghur Muslims in re-education camps. And there are some hideous stories coming out of forced abortions, uh, slave labor, and so on. And there was a report a few weeks ago of a shipment of human hair arriving in America. Really? Believing to be, yes, believing to be from a Uyghur camp. And so we're hoping to talk to uh, activists and campaigners about what's happening in China, trying to raise awareness about it. Uh, tensions between the West and China aren't very good anyway. And now this is happening. It's for, if anyone doubts the idea that genocides, mass atrocity crimes, uh, other such crimes are taking place or haven't, are no longer taking place, then if they look at China, they'll realize that it still happens. So that's a very up-to-date and current problem that we want to raise awareness about. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I remember watching the, the Panorama episode on it um, a few months ago. Uh, it's being rather it's, harrowing. It is harrowing, yeah. It, it's very difficult to comprehend from people who don't live in in China or, or near that part of the world. to, Or it's very easy to, to, to not be concerned i think you kind of if you don't know these people and you don't see it happening it's quite difficult to to yeah just to show how concerned or to to, to feel any kind of emotion about it unless you watch these kind of documentaries or hear witness um reports of it yeah definitely it's something we need to talk about more and politicians yeah. in our country seem to be obsessed obsessed with other issues, completely obsessed, for example, Brexit. And there are sure. more than uh, internal problems to deal with right now. So mm -hmm. if we can raise awareness, then we're doing something. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what was the uh, topic that you talked about uh, the, the, in 2014 in Iraq? I, I did some research just before, and I'm completely mm -hmm. blanking on the name. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, yes, the Yazidis and 
Yes, uh, ISIS right. in Sinjar. Sinjar, yeah. Yeah, so... I, I hadn't heard about that at all. Or I think I when I did some research into it after you mentioned it, I had, like, I had some bells ringing in my head. Like, it rang bells, yeah. but I didn't remember... It's been mentioned before. BBC News, for example, have mentioned it before, once or twice. Right. Uh, and it took place, uh, yeah, six years ago now. So, yeah. like, basically, the Yazidis, for some background, are an ancient minority group indigenous to Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. They number up to one million people and believe that power comes through God and seven angels and their leader, which I'll look at the pronunciation here, Tarusi Melek, which is the peacock angel. And right. as a result of this, they've been viewed by neighboring groups as devil worshippers. And on the 3rd of August, 2014, ISIS, which was at its peak really at the time, expanding its caliphate, arrived in Sinjar, Sinjar province, and it's an Iraqi province, North Iraq. It uh, arrived in the province and the local uh, Kurdish Peshmerga force, which numbered around 16,000 men, just fled. So dozens of communities in and around Mount Sinjar were left defenseless. So ISIS rolled in, rounded up thousands of Yazidi men and boys and executed them, buried them in mass graves. They rounded up and sold into slavery an estimated 10,000 women and children. And they besieged another 50 or 1,000 Yazidis on Mount Sinjar. Between the 6th and the 9th of August, uh, Kurdish forces with American air support helped to free the Yazidis. But by that point, it was too late for thousands of them. So I wrote an article for yet again on this uh, crime. Uh, I, found, I found out about this issue during my master's. When I did my master's, I wanted to write dissertation on a number of ideas i was interested in, in possibly writing a, about life under isis rule in the caliphate but that morphed into because of my interest in genocide studies and my background in that area into something more focused on the crime isis perpetrated against the yazidis mm -hmm. and it's actually the seven the name of my article i think is the 74th time because that's the 74th genocide or mass atrocity crime perpetrated against the yazidis throughout history really? for example yeah in 1832 the Kurds murdered up to 70,000 of them. That's just one example. Jesus. They've been on the receiving end of some very brutal treatment over the centuries. Right. So another hugely persecuted, persecuted sorry, group yeah. over history. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought it up to just to me because uh, I, I had no idea. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not touched upon a lot. There is... No. Some groups are trying to raise awareness. There is Yazda.org, which is a campaign group, an advocacy group, basically. They're trying to raise awareness of what happened. And right. even now, actually, in uh, Kurdish territory, Yazidis are being forcefully assimilated into the local population without their consent. So it's still being mistreated even now. Yeah. Just a, I mean, it's a, it's a very good example, I think, of, of what you guys are doing and, and why it needs to be done because people just don't know about it, aren't being told about it, and it's being swept under the rug a little bit. I, there are so many of these different genocides that, that aren't spoken about. I, I'm thinking of like the Armenian genocide. Yes. And, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's definitely, definitely needed. Um, yeah, definitely. That's something that's. Even though it took place between 1915 and 1922, yeah, numbering and around one and a half million were killed. Yeah, Turkey still denies it to this day. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, um, so 
denial was still an issue. In the and it was something like, I think you say it was one point something million people. It, that was something like 20% of the population, I think, at the time. Yes, yes, it was so, a large proportion of the population. Yeah, which is insane. Definitely. Oh, yes. And hopefully, I'm sure there will be an article or a blog written about it on yet again soon because it it's, has to be covered. And I, we probably will one day do a podcast episode on it. It has to be covered. Cool. I'll, I look forward to that. Um, well, thanks for coming on, Jack. No it's problem. Very, very interesting. Um, I, I'd urge anybody to go and have a look at yet again's website and, and check out their, their social medias as well. Like the work they're doing is is so crucial. Um, Thank you. And it's the the articles on there are of such great quality as well that uh, they're definitely worth reading. So yeah, please oh, go check it out. Is there anything that you wanted to to plug, uh, Jack? Uh, not at the moment. Uh, what what are the social media handles so that people can, can social media handles yet again you. UK, which right. same on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and if you can see the logo on my my hoodie, that's the logo. So if people look for that, it's also on LinkedIn, and if people struggle to find that, they can find me Jack Nichols on all platforms. Feel free to follow cool. me. I'll, uh, I'll make sure to, to add all these uh, handles into the descriptions of this podcast. So if anybody is listening and wants to find them, then they'll yep. just, just check the descriptions. Um, and if need to be, talk to Kirsty Robson, our outreach, outreach manager. She's in charge of all social media platforms. So yes, talk to her directly and she can help. I'll put uh, some of her handles in the description as well. Um, I believe you're, you're looking for people to write as well, aren't you? Or yes, always looking for new people. We've had... Essentially, three waves of interest. The initial wave when we started, the second wave, and then now there's a third wave going on. So, if anyone is interested in writing, researching, even joining the podcast, if even if they're not experienced, if they want to join in, then we're the more the merrier, really. Great, yeah. <laughs> Sound like us here in Africa. <laughs> um, I'm going to plug ourselves us as well. Just to, of course. so if every um. If anybody wants to contact us, you know where to find us uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter at Demographica UK. Also, contact us on our email address at info at demographicauk.com. Um, make sure to show us that you're enjoying the podcast by subscribing on whatever platform you listen to. Helps us out to, to figure out where people are listening to the to the podcasts and just if you're enjoying it generally. And feel free to contact us with any feedback as well. Um, Cool. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Jack. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, for you listening, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.